This episode of the Full English Breakfast is supported by you. When you buy the new and awesome training software Chess King for the ridiculously low price of $49. With Chess King, you can play, analyze your games, solve tactics puzzles, and access a massive database. So it's a great deal at $49. Or you can pick up a copy of Chess King Pro, which is even more powerful, for $99. But to support the podcast, you have to use the coupon code BREAKFAST at chess-king.com. And to sweeten the deal, everyone who does buy Chess King, send an email to chessking at thefeb.com from the same email address, and you'll be entered to win our new prize drawing, a postcard from the Kramnikaronian match signed by both players. So go to www.chess-king.com. Don't forget to use the coupon code BREAKFAST, and thanks. That is what dreams are made of. Wall-to-wall chess. This is Levon Aronian. This is Vladimir Kramnik. And you're listening to The Full English Breakfast with Lawrence Trent and Stephen Gordon. This is episode number 21 of The Full English Breakfast. I'm Macaulay Peterson. We're back from an unintended hiatus, but we've got lots of news. Kramnikaronian, fantasy chess, and a new segment, Fix My Wiki with International Master Lawrence Trent and Grandmaster Stephen Gordon. What's up, guys? How is everyone? Not bad. Not too bad at all. Lots of stuff to get to, but first, time for some pub talk. Come on, Trent, and give us some pub talk. So, we had some international uh, news yeah, one of the things that has obviously not just been in the chess news, but in international media, Kherson Ilunjanov, the uh, the FIDE president, he's uh, he's gone and visited the Syrian capital and had a meeting with the uh, the president there, Mr. Assad, who, um, from what I hear, plays chess to a reasonable standard. But I think that's besides the point at the moment. Again, we see. Ilumjanov putting chess in the mainline news, but uh, again, is it really for the right reasons or at the right time? Is this what we should really be focusing on when there are such major political tensions at the moment with Syria? Macaulay, I don't know what you think about this. It's just, uh, are we losing the plot here? I mean, has he lost the plot? I mean, I don't really know. Well, you know, Ilumjanov is Ilumjanov, but... If his uh, track record with Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi is any guide, I would say he's, uh, you know, Assad should should maybe uh, think twice before inviting over for tea in a chess game. I mean, this guy is turning into like the Grim Reaper of uh, political <laughs> leaders. You know? Well, what are the implications? I mean, do you think it really affects the chess world, Macaulay or Steve? I mean, do you really think him visiting, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's at odds with the West, um, where we've got countries who are condemning his own actions... Do you think this is going to have an impact on the chess? I think that some uh, potential sponsors for chess might be scared off by uh, having the president be uh, on a friendly basis with uh, dictators that are generally reviled. Yeah, I mean, it's it's slightly embarrassing, isn't it? It's just that, um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of people involved in chess who probably want to disassociate themselves with the FIDE president, and <laughs> it's a bit of a shame, really, but... What can you do? I liked Malcolm Payne's comment in his uh, weekly column. Yeah, the Telegraph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It said, speaking in a country now notorious for child torture, Ilimzhinov declared via the Russian press that in early June, as a dedication to the International Day of Children, we're planning to organize the first international youth chess tournament in Syria. That's that's the president we've got. Cheers, guys. Moving on to something uh, a little more lighthearted. Did you guys see Carlson's appearance on the Colbert Report in the U.S.? The highlight was he played a two-out-of-three match in Rock, Paper, Scissors and won two-zip, wiped the floor with Colbert. He used his powers, his psychological prowess. I mean, he's just good at everything. It was really funny. We'll post the link on our Facebook page to check that out. And speaking of our Facebook page, we had uh, some really good feedback from the discussion about the zero tolerance rule. A number of people commenting on the feb.com and on our Facebook page. And one that I got by email pretty much sums it up. Several people wrote in with schemes for replacing the zero tolerance rule with something sensible connected with prize money reduction. So my favorite came from International Master David Pruce out in California, who writes... Every time you're late to a game, you lose 1% of your final prize money and or appearance fees for every minute that you are late. Thus, players who are not in the running for any money don't get penalized for taking it more casually, and people who are in line for a serious payday will be chastened to really be on time. Now, I saw something along those lines on our facey page. And what if you're, uh, I don't know, stuck in traffic, or someone's had a car crash in front of you, or whatever? You're late and it's not your fault. Am I just uh, too protective of the players here or what? But if it's if it's not your fault that you're late to the board, well, presumably, I mean, there can always be some uh, discretion applied oh, by okay. the you know by the organizers or by the arbiters. But I mean, that's not the kind of lateness that the rule is intended to right. <laughs> yeah. to deal with. People just showing up late uh, because they can is the kind of thing that the rule is supposed to avoid. And this would just be one way to get round the problem that we discussed last time of having it make less sense for someone down on board 50, you know, to be so strict with the zero tolerance rule. Maybe that is a good way, just to to penalise them financially. Well, thanks to all of you who wrote in with comments, and you can always uh, find us on the web at thefeb.com or facebook.com forward slash thefeb. All right, let's uh, check the news. In our news roundup for today, we had a couple of major events since our last show. We'll get to Kremnikaronian in a moment, but uh, first, your thoughts on the Russian team championship, which was uh, quite close, actually, and was won in the end by the team Tomsk 400, with uh, Sergei Karyakin posting the tournament's best performance. They edged out teams from St. Petersburg and 64, which took the silver and bronze, respectively. Seems like, out of all the championships, actually, this is essentially the strongest one. I, I looked at the player list, and you've got Karyakin, Morozovic, Svidler, Tomaszewski, basically a whole host of 2,700 players. These big matches where you've just got, you know, the top guys in the world playing, so it's really good, top quality chess, and it looks like don't know if you had a chance to look at this game suit, but but uh, Kai Yakin's had uh, a great little tournament. He'll be gaining a few points. Yeah, yeah. No, it looks like um, it's probably probably the strongest league in the world. And I've just got up some average ratings of the top team. You've got Moscow. Their their average ratings twenty seven twenty five, which is just absolutely absurd. And then you know Tomsk who won it. They were only the fourth highest ranked with an average rating of twenty seven oh eight. 
So yeah, we're talking about we're talking about the big boys here and uh, yeah, I mean Kayakin again he put together a pretty fantastic performance it looks like. He put away the European champion with the black pieces at one point, so something to be happy about and he's uh, he's right back up near the top of the rating list again. Yeah, Karyakin on the May rating list moving up to number six at twenty seven seventy nine, uh, just a few points shy of Rajabov who's been in that number five spot for a few lists now. But uh, the thing that jumps out at you on the Mave list, of course, is the number of games that Fabiano Caruana has played. 26 games since the last list. 26 games? He's been playing non-stop, hasn't he? And it is, I think, for, for a top player like that, you take a bit of a risk. If you're playing at 2770 and, you know, you turn up against a, a 2600 GM, very good players still... Um, you've got to be winning a lot of games to hold your rating, so fair play to him for putting in that many tournaments in a rating period and uh, you know sticking up there as well. Uh, it's astonishing, really, how how well he's done because you know uh, maybe a year ago we wouldn't have been talking about him as a as a top ten player, but um, absolutely fantastic to see him in there. And I don't even think he's turned twenty yet. Actually, you know, Caruana has his 26 games. That's a lot for uh, the top uh, 20, 25 players. But guess who has the most games played in this last period? Well, I'm cheating a little bit here. I mean, I can hazard a guess now because uh, there's someone in the top 100 who's, for me, has got an astonishing amount of games. David Navarro has played 40 games. Yeah. In two months. That is incredible. Actually, do you know what? Some of these guys might not have because the German Bundesliga went in and it's been going on for all year. So I was going to say as well, there's Marcus Ragger down at 83 and he's someone to watch. His rating's been consistently moving up over the past couple of years. He's now 26, 70. He's played 40 games as well. Maybe 15 of those will have come from the, the Bundesliga. Um, but yeah, Navarro, 40 games in a rating period. Must really, really love chess. It's a lot of tournaments, isn't it, Lawrence? Um, but he will have those swings, and actually, Navarro is one of those players who has huge swings. He can really, when he's on a, on in a bad, bad uh, period, he loses a lot of points. But the guy is a genius, basically. I mean, he is. He was a bit of a sensation as a as a youth, but uh, I doubt we'll ever see him in the high twenty seven hundred simply because he hasn't got the um, the consistency. All right. Well. Let's move on to one of the big matches uh, this year. A little bit of a prequel to the World Championship match. Kramnik and Aronian playing an exhibition six games in Zurich. They had a, an interesting uh, idea, which uh, was actually proposed by Kramnik, that if they uh, play the classical game and it ends in under three hours, then they play a rapid game to entertain the spectators. That did happen once, but uh, the rest of the games were continued classical games to the end and uh, ended in a 3-3 tie. Well, first, just... Uh, your your thoughts from looking at some of the games on this match, uh, and uh, I was particularly curious if uh, you know how seriously the players would take this, given that there's uh, nothing directly riding on it. It's more of a of a training match. It seemed like um, slightly experimental, a um, bit of an eye opener, really, because I was expecting a lot of uh, a lot of d4 or c4 on move one in these games, and actually more than half of them started with pawn e4 which shows that they're probably both thinking in order to press for the world championship maybe they've got to become a little bit more versatile with white i mean you're looking at the top guys in the world like anand carlson um and many others they can play any first move and actually 
Kramnik and Aronian, you're only really seeing them in the big games, moving the D-pawn or the C-pawn. So I think that you know they're trying to add some things to the game, and that was it was quite refreshing to see um, some battles, you know, going in E4, E5. Um, I thought it was really, really well fought, and they were they were such a good match for each other. I mean, the the first game. Aronian looked like he played pretty flawlessly. And then they had, in the other decisive game, round three. And Kramnik uh, went for E4 and just went for a bit of mayhem. And it paid off. And, uh, you know, I thought I thought they played some really interesting games. And it was 3-3 uh, was a pretty worthy result for, for the match. I like the idea of the rapid. I think that's really important. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, a lot of these guys do travel a long way to come and see these events. And I think... The short draws, again, that is another solution, maybe. I know we have our build bow rules and not offering a draw, but maybe a rapid play is another way to get um, this short draw problem out of the game. Then again, it was weird because with no points on the line, I mean, Steve, you could tell me this, would we ever see Aronian opening 1e4 against a Kramnik if there were no FIDE rating points on the line? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually think that it might be... He might be whipping out this E4 move in the future. You know why not? I don't. I don't see why he shouldn't be aiming to play every opening. I mean, that's really the difference between. It seems uh, well a key difference that Magnus has over the other players is he's he's just playing any position. So Aronian's got to this 28-20 rate, and if he can get used to playing some E4 openings as well, then uh, you know maybe maybe Magnus hasn't gone, isn't going to have as much over him. Certainly, uh, the nature of this match gave him a chance to experiment a bit. Well, let's have a quick listen to some comments from Levin Aronian and Vladimir Kramnik sizing up the strengths of his opponent before the match began. His main strength is that he has a huge experience. You know, he's he's been a devoted uh, chess analyst. You know, Russians love this saying. They say, I guess. I know more than you you're ever going to forget. You know, so yeah, he definitely knows a lot about chess. And uh, I really envy his memory. So that's that's his main strength, his knowledge, general knowledge of chess. Well, he's got many good qualities, but I would say that main strength is yes, he's very confident. He has he's, he has very strong uh, sportive competitive uh, character. I think this is uh, very important. He's uh, uh, very motivated. I mean, uh, he's really a good sportsman. I mean, very, very strong sportsman, strong individuality. So this is this actually is very important in chess also. And uh, yes, talking about uh, chess qualities, well, it's clear that he's of course he's he's working a lot. He's uh, improving uh, very steadily. I mean, all the time, a little bit, all the time. So he's getting better and better, and he's still quite young. And uh, well, basically, I wouldn't wouldn't be a secret to say that probably his main strength is uh, complicated and kind of chaotic positions. I mean, he's very good at, at calculation and uh, at very sharp and complicated games. Weaknesses. I I think uh, at a certain level, it's already not a weakness. But you know, I'm going to try to take him into some uh, positions that are closer to my style, perhaps more dynamic more dynamic play. I think I, I got to try that because uh, I think that that was the way that uh, Anand was playing against him and, and it proved to be efficient. So 
I, I'm going to try and, and emulate that. He was always very strong at this point, but uh, the problem is uh, that he is improving his weaker sides, which was, for example, opening reparation was never his strong point, but now he's obviously working a lot and he is uh, now becoming also a very good theoretician, so which makes it even more difficult to fight against him. But I, I, I hope I can compensate uh, this, uh, his strong points with, with my experience and certain maybe qualities which I have. What he was saying about Aronian in, in the dynamic sort of complicated positions, it hits the nail on the head. There's, there's only Carlsen that can really rival that. Um, and Lev's incredible precision when he goes through these lines is something really to admire. Uh, with Kramnik as well, yes, of course, it's his experience. There's nobody out there, probably bar an and, who has had as much experience at that level. It was an interesting matchup, but um, clearly Aronian is a man for the future and the new generation. Um, whereas likelihood is we're probably in the next maybe 10 years or so not going to see Kramnik playing consistently at 2800. What, what do you think, Steve? Um, I don't know. I think, like you said, it's it's really nice to hear them both uh, so complementary of each other's strengths, and you know they couldn't really list a lot of weaknesses. And uh, yeah, it's clear that Kramnik has a lot of respect for Lev and feels as though uh, he's improving all the time, and uh, he's really working on these weaknesses. I mean, he mentioned that his opening preparations catching up. I really, really enjoy checking out Aronian's games because I think he's just such a creative player and. Uh, like Kramnik said, he's, uh, he's identified his main strength as uh, being able to play these complicated positions. Yeah, like you say, I mean, maybe there's only Carlson who's uh, who handles these uh, uncharted waters as well as as well as left. So it's it's difficult to say, really. I mean, Kramnik could he could be there for a few years. Yeah, I mean, Gelfand and Anand are proving that when you're getting into late thirties, early forties, that you might not be seeing any kind of decline. At that, at that age, so if he keeps going and keeps working at his game, I don't see why he couldn't. He can't stay one of the uh, one of the top top three or four players in the world for a few years to come. Well, I was there, of course, uh, producing the live commentary show. But uh, while I was there, I had a chance to speak with the legendary Viktor Lvovich Korchnoi and asked him, among other things, for his uh, evaluation of these two great players. So let's hear from Viktor Korchnoi. Do you think that there is a value in such a training match to help one in future matches? Or is the fact that it's a friendly match sort of too much less pressure to have it really be helpful as a training match? Well, what, what I think, I think uh, Kramnik is working. Kramnik is working every day. Well, uh, not regarding... Uh, Necessarily match with Ironman. He is working every day. He is preparing for some strong um, competition, and uh, and one of his preparations was uh, this uh, setup, this uh, this system. He invented it, and he um, he is ready to play in a challenger tournament. But then, so didn't he didn't want to play against Aronian because of that he he played two times e two e four in 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 the match. Then he thought of uh, 
Well, I am prepared, I prepared something, not against Iranian, but I, I prepared some new system. I should try, at well, at least against Iranian, uh, to play, to play this line, and he played it, and uh, well, he failed to win, but it was nice game. It was uh, something very important and some new word in uh, in chess theory. That is. We should not forget about that game. He finally, finally uh, made up his mind to play to play this new line, absolutely new. Well, it it, it never happened there. Yeah. Uh, well, Bishop Itu, Quincy Itu, he said so. Well, Armenian is really extremely talented, extremely talented, and he understands that. Well, he is not going in in future uh, to play against Iranian. Iranian perhaps has uh, uh, some other and non-less weak opponents than Kramnik. Training match or not, Kramnik uh, says that uh, chess now is more interesting for him than ever. I I I can understand that. Well, he he changed. The land where he lives. Uh, somehow it happened that he uh, lost some connections to people who lived, say, in Russia and with whom he he was very friendly. So instead of that, he got some additional interest to chess. I, I feel it, yeah. So as a brief addendum to that clip, uh, I mentioned to Kremnik uh, Korchnoi's theory about his opening preparation, and you know what he said? He said, no comment, let your audience decide if it makes sense. Well, there you go. How much work can Kremnik have really put into this uh, this line that Korchnoi is referring to? I mean, I can see it's the Moscow variation, and he's saying that... Uh, Kramnik's come up with some new idea. Well, in some ways, Aronian came up with some new idea first by putting his queen back on... I'm not sure if it's totally new, but it looks a little bit unusual. Just put his queen back on d8. Um, it doesn't look like a game to me that is any kind of special preparation. Yeah, I mean, it just looks like they're, they're both trying to play chess, get an interesting position that's not been tested before and uh, and see what happens. Well, from Zurich, headed over to St. Louis, where I am now, the U.S. Championship starting up. The uh, folks here at the Chess Club and Scholastic Center are reviving their fantasy chess from last year, which was a big success. Last year, the Full English Breakfast had a fantasy chess team. We didn't finish so well, so uh, I hope we can do a little bit better. I've got the fantasy chess page open up, and we're going to make our team right now. You guys ready? Let's do it. Yes, there I'm excited comes. about this. So first, we have to pick players from the overall championship, which uh, this year is comprised entirely of men, 12 of the top men in the country. So we got a multiple choice selection of players and then pick which one of the 12 will be the winner. All right, first, here we go. Group one, Hikaru Nakamura or Gata Kamsky? Gorgo Nakamura. Yeah, I'm going with that. I don't know. God is the two-time defending champion. No, I'm going with Nakamura. Yeah. I'm going with Nakamura. I'm with you. Group two. Alex Onishuk, Yasser Sarawan, and Varuja Nakobian. Well, again, I think you've got to go with Onishuk based on recent... I mean, I know Sarawan's had a mini-revival, but... I'll just point out that Akobian is here with some high-powered assistance. He's brought Gabriel Sargisian 
who uh, was unavailable the last couple of years, uh, working, of course, regularly with Levin Aronian. Uh, but he's now here in St. Louis for the tournament. Now, I'll, I mean, I'd I'll, love to. I'd love to pick a, a Cobian, uh, but yeah, I, I get the feeling again that um, Honest Chuck's a very sensible choice out of the players. I think. Okay, Honest Chuck, it is Robert Hess or Ray Robson. Hess, Hess, Hess. He's pretty awesome. We're going with Hess. Okay, Group Four: Yuri Shulman, also a former champion. Or newcomer Alejandro Ramirez. Got to go with Shulman again. The experience. <laughs> Shulman. Putting your sensible out on Trinity. And you like your experience, don't you? Yeah, well, why not? All right. Group five. Alexander Strupunski, Gregory Kaidanov, or Alexander Lenderman. Now, that's a hard one. Right, I'm going to throw it out there. We're going Lenderman. We're going Lenderman. We're going Lenderman. We're going young guy. He could make some moves there. Okay, and lastly, who will be the 2012 US champion? Of all the players I just named. You can't go against him, can you? There's no way we can uh, not say Hikaru. He's just such a massive favourite, you can't go against him. Okay, Nakamura it is. Alright, here we go. Submitting the FEB Fantasy Chess team. Finally. I've been waiting for this for a while since I had this idea. But we're going to inaugurate a new segment. It's called Fix My Wiki where we take a Grandmaster that you should know and help you to know them better. And our first volunteer, Grandmaster Yannick Politier from Switzerland, who was one of the commentators of the Kramnikaronian match in Zurich. Everybody, go pull up Politier's Wikipedia entry. You can find him if you uh, Google Politier Chess Wiki, or we'll post a link on our Facebook page. So all you Wikipedia editors out there, listen up. Here's your chance to contribute to global chess knowledge. So, let's play Fix My Wiki. And with us is Grandmaster Yannick Pelletier. Thank you very much for joining. Hi, Macaulay. Hi, everybody. Actually, this is kind of disappointing. I, I, I think a Grandmaster of your stature, uh, someone should add some more uh, details here. I'm, a, I'm afraid the stature is not uh, very great, so uh, it's normal. There are just a, just a few informations. So... Uh, Born September 22nd, 1976 in Bilbien, Switzerland. This is correct. He's a Swiss chess player, yeah, well. He has been a Grandmaster since 2001. Actually, I made my last normal at the end of 2000 in Istanbul, the Olympiad. But I think that officially I became a GM indeed in 2001. Although I prefer saying that I was since 2000, but all right, I want. There is no information about your norms, which is often uh, useful. So for the listeners, uh, when did you, do you remember when you got your three norms? Yeah, I remember. The first one was in uh, the Open in Germany, in Bad Wiese, 97. I played quite a good tournament, I was quite happy. And the second norm followed just in the next tournament at the beginning of 98, 1998, in Ubeda open in, in Spain and then I had to wait about two and a half years until the Olympiad in Istanbul so it was quite a difficult period because I was really hoping to get this third norm fast enough but I had to wait more than two years and then I got that's where I got the, the last norm and actually Switzerland played absolutely great in Istanbul 2000 so I hope that this year's Olympiad again in Istanbul will be another source of success for Switzerland won the Swiss championship in 95, 2000, 2002 it's not updated, I won also in 2010 so fourth title in 2001 he tied for first fourth with Tamashun 
or I can't remember this, uh, the, the Neuchâtel. <laughs> this is the Neuchâtel Open, the ninth Neuchâtel Open, 2001. Okay. It's, it's quite a small open in Switzerland. Yeah, actually in 2001, at the end of the year, I won uh, an, another but much more important open in Zurich, and I was alone. I won with six and a half out of seven, and that was a great success, and I repeated this success the next year, in 2002. I won alone, but with six points. So 2001, 2002, Zurich, good thing to add, folks. Yeah, and I think I won another time, but I can't remember the year. In 2007, tied for third, fifth with Judith Polgar and Rodriguez. Yeah, this was a good tournament, I remember. That's where I beat uh, Carlson uh, the, the second time. The 40th Beal tournament. Yeah, and actually, this is actually more or less the only time they made it uh, a 10-player tournament instead of the usual format of six-player double round robin. So it was, um, yeah, it was a great memory for me. We've definitely got some good information. Everybody, fix Yannick Blitier's wiki, please. Yes, please. <laughs> So we have our first mission on the Full English Breakfast. Yes, you've all heard it, guys. Anybody who can do that for us, who's got a few moments, update that information on his wiki page. <laughs> a lot missing and a lot to, to be done. Do you have a Wikipedia page? Well, this is what I was going to say, you know. I, uh, Steve, you have one, but I don't have a page. So anybody who wants to put up a page of me on Wikipedia, then I'd love to see what you can come up with. I don't have a page either. Uh, neither does the Full English Breakfast, I might add. The only Full English Breakfast on Wikipedia is the actual breakfast. So, lots of missions, but for now, as we leave, quick picks, world champion, Anand Gelfand. Gotta go Anand, gotta go Anand, can't see any other outcome. Steven? I'm a slightly more sceptical about Anand with recent form, but I've still gotta, I've still gotta go with him. I reckon, I reckon Anand. You can watch the World Championship and the U.S. Championship back to back, wall to wall chess for the next two weeks. I'm loving it. I've been always, you know, really inspired watching interviews or reading about Bill Russell. Yeah, he's he's one of kind of fatherly figures for me. <laughs>